So we are doing a series that we just started last week, well, we kind of started on Easter, called Kingdom Hospitality. And um, we want to talk about hospitality, and there are some overlap to how we normally talk about hospitality in the world, but then there's some specific, some unique aspects to doing hospitality according to how the Bible tells us to do hospitality. So that's what we're trying to look at in this series, and, and especially Jesus. Uh, let me just start by, by saying, you know, we, we sang to start how great the chasm that lay between us. It's easy to forget, if we've been in church a long time, that there, there, is, a, there is a chasm for us connecting to God, for us meeting his standard, that we could not get on our own. We can't try hard enough. We can't clean ourselves up good enough to get to being how God created us to be. We're just all of us human beings. We just, we just miss the mark. And that's what the cross is about, that Jesus would come, hit the mark, but then take our place to offer us, whoever wants to come to him, forgiveness of sins, and then we can get near to God and lined up with God and be blessed by God. So it's a huge thing that he did for us. And in light of that, in the book of Romans, it starts to say, in light of that, how much God has loved us, now you can show love to God by how you love one another, by how you're connected to one another. In 1 John, it says, don't say you love God and you're good with God, but then not be good with other people. There's this uh, Russian novel the Brothers Karmazov, I think it's called, Fyodor Dostoevsky. And I don't know how to pronounce things in Russian. But I've read the book. And there's this character who's like really, like very into himself, very into telling people this is how it should be. He, you know, he's a very good person. And he sounds like people are impressed with him. And they're like, wow. He's, and he, he says, you know, I love humanity. But to paraphrase, he basically says, but to people, I don't actually like interacting with people. You know, and God says, that's not how it works. Like, you have to love people in the here and now. Here's how Romans talks about kind of our response to God. It says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. At Celebrate Church, we want to be gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. We want to connect with one another to help us connect with Jesus. We want to go wherever God sends us and connect with people there and bring the presence of Jesus. But one of the things we need to do is actually practice. Because I think if most of us are honest, we're not great at talking about Jesus with people. It doesn't come naturally. It's not, it, does, it's, it can be challenging. And so part of this initiative to practice hospitality that we're doing is a little different. I mean, if I was thinking hospitality, I would think like, okay, we're going to do this hospitality initiative. Let's do it at our house. Well, we do want to open our homes to people and to be able to talk about Jesus with people or just bless people as we bring them into our homes. And we're going to talk about that in this series. Um, that is part of it. But we were intentional about what this initiative is because we can just talk. We'll give you a few questions that help you get to know each other better and also talk about God in a way that's pretty natural. And we're practicing listening to each other and talking with each other 
so that we can keep doing it on our own. So it will connect us, I hope, as a church, it will get us more connected with each other, but it will also help us as we go to be able to do this uh, as Jesus teaches us to do and as we're learning in this series on our own. So I want to just for a few minutes recap what we talked about last week because in this series we are talking about giving and receiving hospitality in Jesus' name. We're learning from him, the Lord of hosts. And we're learning how we host, how we show hospitality. What does he say about it? And so last week, we looked at two stories. We looked at Jesus being welcomed into the, to a home by Martha and her family. And we looked at Jesus being uh, invited over to dinner and having dinner by Simon the Pharisee. Those two stories. And in both stories, we learned this. Jesus receives hospitality. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the big shot. He's the, the one with the riches. <clears throat> but when people invite him in, he comes. He's willing to say, yes, thank you. I will come. And he does that with, with Martha and, and their family, which is, do not seem to be part of the Pharisee upper religious class. And he does it with a religious leader like Simon the Pharisee. And in other stories, we'll see he does it with the tax collector Zacchaeus or the tax collector Matthew. But again and again, when people invite him in, he says, yes, I will receive your hospitality. And he tells his followers to do the same. When you go out, he says to, to the 12, don't bring a staff, don't bring a bag, don't bring bread, don't bring money, don't bring an extra shirt, and whoever welcomes you in, stay there. So he encourages us to receive hospitality. We are supposed to offer hospitality, but we shouldn't skip the step that we're also just supposed to receive it. It's a good thing. Next, in both stories, he, Jesus receives outsiders, so in the story with Martha, she's upset because Mary, her sister, isn't helping her as she's doing all the preparations. But part of what's also happening is Mary is sitting at his feet, which would be what disciples would do, but disciples at that time were only men. And so everybody was like, um, we know she's not supposed to be here. Not in what's going on right now. And Jesus says, no, no she's right where she's supposed to be. And he receives her. Simon the Pharisee says this, this person, we know she's a sinful woman. She's got a bad reputation. And if he was really a prophet, he would know. And Jesus says, no, he receives her. He receives the people that say, well, we shouldn't have her here. He says, yes. He even receives Simon the Pharisee, the judgmental guy, the judgmental, righteous, self-righteous, uh, religious guy. He doesn't just say, dude, you're an idiot. You don't get it. He doesn't do that. He says, Simon, I want to tell you something. And then he has a conversation in a way to help Simon try to see the ways that Simon is really judgmental and unloving and the ways this woman, who he can't even see, is actually loving and doing the things that he should be doing. But in, in having that whole conversation, Jesus doesn't like give him the stiff arm or do, do, do. Simon, I have something to tell you. He receives people. Now, specific to the stories last week, kingdom hospitality in the story of Martha and Mary, we talked about focus on listening, not on anxiety. It is good to do, make preparations. It is good to be intentional. It is good to welcome people. It is good to serve. All those things are good. But when they become the main thing, then we don't even listen to people, whereas Mary was listening to Jesus. And so there's a way in which we want to listen. Also, then, from the story of uh, Simon the Pharisee, Focus on loving, not on analyzing. When we're with people, we shouldn't 
spend all our time thinking like, what do they think of me? What do I think of them? Should I be here? Should they be here? Do I want to keep being with them? No, just love them. Just love them. So I read this quote this week, and I wish I read it a week earlier because it feels like it summarizes both stories and what we were getting at. So I'm going to read it this week to kind of final, uh, wrap up how I'm uh, summarizing last week. It's from Dallas Willard. It says, if you want to listen to others, you have to realize that you're not the most important person in the room. If you want to listen to others or love others, you have to realize that you're not the most important person in the room. He goes on to say, because listening means that you cease to think about how you're doing and how they're thinking about you and you stop adjusting your facade with words and thinking about how you're going to get the next bright remark in when you get a chance, and instead you really generously open yourself to the other person and receive them in love for what they are and stop worrying about yourself. I thought that summarizes the whole thing from last week. Going back, if you can go back to that first slide, if you want to listen to others, you have to realize that you're not the most important person in the room. That's something I'm going to, I'm trying to carry with me since I read it. When I'm in a room, am I thinking I'm the most important person in the room? Because my ability to listen and my ability to love go way down when that's what I think. And when I'm consciously like, no, I'm not going to be the most important person in the room, conversely, it goes up. Okay, so let's go to the story. What we're doing with these stories, there's lots of things that we could get out of them, but at least in these first two weeks, we're taking a story from the Gospels about Jesus, and we're seeing what can we learn about hospitality from the story. We can learn lots of things about God from this story, but especially I want us to think about and reflect on what can we learn about hospitality from this story. So, just to set it up, Jesus has had his 12 uh, uh, apostles with him, and he says, I'm going to send you out now. He, uh, he gave them authority and power to drive out demons and cure diseases, and he said, go proclaim God's kingdom and heal the sick. And this is where don't take anything with you and stay where you're going to stay. So he's all that, and they come back, and that's where we're picking up at the story. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging, food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the reading of God's word. 
So going back to verses 10 and 11, again, we're trying to think about what can we learn about hospitality here. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with them, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. He's saying they have been pouring out. They have been at work. They have been busy. And now we are going to have a retreat. He's setting up retreat time. Let's go have the retreat. A retreat means we are getting away from the ministry. We're getting away from the work. We're getting away from all these things we're doing. Verse 11, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. So he has a choice now. Sorry, I'm on retreat. Sorry, this is what we've planned. Sorry, this is what I'm prioritizing. Or he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So with kingdom hospitality, Jesus welcomed and he spoke to them. Hospitality means, I mean, this seems sort of obvious, but welcoming people and speaking to people like persons. But with kingdom hospitality, it means you do that even when it's inconvenient or unplanned. This Now... To be clear, Jesus could have good boundaries. Jesus didn't always let other people dictate everything he did. I mean, he's doing a ton of ministry somewhere, and the people come, come up, and, and he has gone away to pray on his own. And they say, hey, everybody's looking for you. you. You know, we need you here. And he says, no, I'm actually going over to a new town. This is what I'm supposed to do. It says he often withdrew to lonely places. He, there is a need for silence and solitude. There is a need for connecting with God. And that's why we have the prayer room where you can sign up. There's a way in which you sign up, you turn off your phone, and you can just go be in a spot where there's not other distractions to happen. Other people would might maybe take walks in creation and find ways to be on your own. That's an important thing. And you can say no. But also, we want to be available if God says, actually, I have this in mind right now. These people that I've sent to you, this situation that has just emerged, these people who are hurting now or all of a sudden have a crisis now, I want you to stop what you were doing and welcome them and speak to them and be present to them because it could bring healing and care and love to them. That can happen in kingdom hospitality. And when, if hospitality is just... Okay, we got to make sure everything's perfect. We got to have all the right things. We got to do it, and then we can have the people over, and it's got to be the right people, and all of that. Well, that can be good, but it's not necessarily getting a kingdom hospitality attitude. So, again, to be intentional, to have the things, to make things beautiful or good, all of that is expressions of love. It's just that it can't be the main thing all the time. We need to be open to. I'm not really ready for people. This isn't the ideal time. So God help me. Because I'm going to stop because I think I'm supposed to be with this person or let in these people. You're getting the point. Okay. Now, going on in the story, 9 verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. And Jesus' response to this is, you give them something to eat. Okay? Thousands of people were 12, 
So it goes on. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Now, I am going to, there's going to be two more kingdom hospitality points I make. And both are going to be built on two aspects of this story. Here's the first aspect. The disciples were honest about what they had to offer. This is, this is what they had to offer. Two fish, five loaves. Five loaves, two fish. That's what they have to offer. Unless you want us to go buy food for them. Now, we tend to think of Jesus as just completely poor all the time. But he had an operation. He was supported by wealthy women, it says in the Gospels. He had enough of an operation that he had somebody embezzling money. Judas was stealing money from the operation and could do that without people noticing. You th- it's possible that when they said, you want us to buy food for all these people, that it was like, do you really want us to drain our whole account? Like they had enough. They're honest with what they have. Now, that is totally impractical. How are they going to get there, buy it, get the food back? And, and if they did have that much money, it's gone. But they were honest. This is what we have right now available to us. We were kind of hoping this would be our dinner. I mean, it barely will feed the 12 of us. But here's what we have. Unless you want us to do, but here's what we have. Okay, so that's one aspect. What we have. Now, the next thing is verse 16. Jesus had him sit down, had everyone get in place. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples, to the disciples to distribute to the people. This is the part I want us to note. He looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven. So the disciples are honest with what they have to offer, and now they're learning from Jesus about how to do kingdom hospitality, who welcomes them and speaks to them and now wants to feed them. And they offer it up, and he takes it, and he looks up to heaven. What happens when we take what we have to offer and we look up to heaven with it? Well, kingdom hospitality would say, what did he do? He gave, when he looked up to heaven, he gave thanks for what he had to offer. What is easy to do is to say, is to focus on what we don't have to offer. Well, I'm not good at making food. Well, I don't have enough money right now. Well, I don't have a place to invite people in. Well, I'm not able to talk to people real easily like so-and-so is. I'm, I'm, it's, I can't do this. I don't have this. I wish I had that. I, and so, you know, I just don't have much to offer. Whatever we have to offer that can welcome people in, that can speak to them and care for them, that can care for needs, what if we take it and we start with Thank you that I have this to offer. Instead of focusing on, here's what I don't have. Because the the mindset of always focusing on what we don't have means that we'll never have enough, and so if we never have enough, of course we're not going to actually share it with other people. Well, that's the opposite of how the kingdom works. The kingdom works that you take what you have, and you look to heaven, and if there are people you can share it with, then you're willing to offer, and you're like, thank you that I have something to offer. Leading to the next point. Kingdom of Hospitality, ask God to bless what we have to offer. So in the NIV, it says, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. He gave thanks. In other translations, especially ones that are more literal, 
like the ESV or the NASB, it will say he blessed it. He took it, looked up to heaven, and blessed it, which would include giving thanks for it in terms of how the Jewish understanding would be. But there's also a sense of like, now would you, would you put your hand of favor on this and how it's used, or this and that it's consumed, or that, would you bless it to our bodies? What's the prayer that you guys say in your family? Blessed? Catholic one, go ahead. Yeah, it's too, too much too fast. <laughs> Try one more time. Bless, bless us our Lord for these thy gifts which we are about to receive. What? From the bounty. Okay, that's right. I got. From the bounty of Christ. From thy bounty through Christ. We should have just had you come up with a microphone. Yeah. All right. Bless us, O Lord. That's how it starts, right? For these thy gifts. Bless us, O Lord, for these thy gifts. And you say it all the time. Now, every time, now here's something to note about Jesus. He was, this was a unique situation. He's about to feed 5,000 people with a little bit of stuff. And so he says a prayer in that unique situation, but he has practiced saying that prayer his whole life. He has practiced blessing food and other things in the home he walks in. He, that is just part of the Jewish way. He just blessed it. Thank you and bless it. Thank you. There's a practice of incorporating it. So in our household, we would say, come Lord Jesus, be our guest. And let these gifts to us be blessed. Or be present at our table, Lord. Be here and everywhere adored. These morsels bless and grant that we may feast in paradise with thee. Or, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever, before every meal growing up. Now, when we were, our big witness when we went out to eat was that we just bowed our heads. Nobody prayed out loud, but we did. But we did it. Because, I mean, by the time I'm eight, nine, or ten, I'm assuming that if I ate food without praying, it would be like bad. Something bad could happen. I've got, it's easy to get away from that. But here's Jesus who practices everything is God's. Thank you. Everything is God's. And God can take what we have and do more with it than if we just use it on our own. So I'm constantly going to remind myself, thank you. Bless this. Use this. Every time I eat, thank you. Bless this. Bless me as I eat it. Every time we gather with other people, thank you for these people. Bless us in our fellowship together over and over and over again. And he expected that that actually made a difference. It wasn't just something cute to do or say, but it actually made a difference to thank God for what he gave us, to ask him to bless it. And then he could see over and over again, God's at work. Because he believed God's real. He's alive. He's the creator of all things. Everything comes from him. He's the source of every good and perfect gift. And he's the one who sustains us and empowers us in life. So thank you and bless us. Uh, this, this week... I had a college student who had contacted me about getting together. This college student said, you know, I, I'm taking a class in religion in, in college, and we're supposed to go to a, a religious site and find out what they do. And he's like, honestly, I just didn't grow up in the church. I don't really know much about the church, and so I'm curious. So I'm going to do this for my project, but I'm also just kind of curious. 
about what you think. So we went through the whole building, showed him what's the service like, what else do you do? I'll answer all the questions. And he's filming me for some of it. He's going to show me for some of his, his presentation. And at the end, he says, now I have a question for you. And I know that I didn't prep you on this. You know, the video's going. And he says, but I just want to know. What does faith mean to you? What does having faith mean to you? How would you answer that question? Camera's rolling. Oh, you're a churchgoer? You're a believer? What does having faith mean to you? So I responded, well, I like to think about faith as having confidence. Having confidence. So I was sitting there, so I said, you know, I have confidence in this chair. I have confidence that when I sit down, it's not going to break apart. It'll hold me up. I have faith in that. I have faith in the chair, confidence in the chair. So I have faith in God that he is who he says he is in the Bible. And I have confidence that he has made promises to me and he will fulfill them. And I have confidence that he loves me and that he forgives me because of what he did on the cross. He died on the cross. That was a demonstration of love. So I have confidence in that. And I have confidence that he rose from the dead. I have confidence in that. And he's got a body and he still has a body and his body's going to last forever. And those who are with him, I have confidence we're going to have a body. After we die, we're going to have a body. We're going to keep on going. We're still going to exist. I have confidence in that. And how, how I've grown in my confidence is by living an interactive life with God. Like responding to what he says, trying to put it into practice. Tons of mistakes, tons of times I'm not doing that. All, all that's true. But I've grown in my confidence that he's real that he's good, that he's with us. That's what having faith means to me. It's having confidence. This, this is real. This is realer than so many other things that we put all our attention on. This is real. And so with that in mind, how we can grow in kingdom hospitality is by having confidence that God will do this with us. So I, I grow in my faith or I grow in my confidence in God when I hear stories about how he's been at work. I remember doing a funeral for a single mom. And so all her children, they're in their tw 20s, 30s at now, multiple kids. And she, they just said, like, we had nothing growing up and we had no idea. This just seemed so normal. We always brought all our friends over and she fed us. We did that all the time. And now we're looking back at it like, how did that work? Or when Camille and I came here to celebrate, there was a the weekend when Celebrate was deciding whether to hire me. We, just, we had to meet lots of, got to, we got to meet lots of people. I mean, it's a little nerve-wracking, but meet lots of people. And one of the groups of people we met with were the crosswalk leaders over at the crosswalk building. 
And we were so impacted. I remember just tearing up, hearing the stories of the ministry that happened at the Crosswalk Building. A few months ago, we, when we sold the Crosswalk Building and had a Crosswalk closing, some of those same stories were shared. And so here's one of the stories. They would have the service afterwards, or they would have a, an a after-school thing, but it would start like at 5 or 5.30 or something like that at the Crosswalk Building for youth. And some youth couldn't get home and still be able to come back. So they had to just walk over if they were going to do it, but it wasn't open yet. So they left a van open for them, and they would stay in the van if it was cold. Well, that's, that probably isn't the best idea. And so Shannon Cahill offered like, well, I, I can open up the building, and then the kids can just be there. So she would open up the building and she would feed her kids. Well, then there's these handful of kids there, so, well, she might as well feed them too. But it wasn't that simple. Because at the time, the Cahills' finances were tight. In their own meals, they would eat and they would be like, we better eat a little less. They never had leftovers. That's just how it was. But now they're going to start feeding kids. So they... She'd buy more, make more, and the strangest thing happened. There was almost always leftovers. And the money didn't increase, but they were fine. And then kids got the word out that they're serving a meal, and so then more kids showed up. So then she would buy more and feed more, and there was always leftovers that could feed their family later. And she said, our income did not increase. But now we had leftovers, and before we didn't. And now we're feeding more and more kids. Now, eventually, the church just started to, you know, supply the food and make the, and, and she was part of leading that. But for months, what they got to see is this is how kingdom hospitality works, right? This is how it works. And they, their confidence in God grew so they could keep doing that. And so now that ministry is going on its slideways, and it's, there's a, someone who's like, we will take them, we will feed them. This is kingdom hospitality. It's how it works. Our church is attempting to operate with this because practicing hospitality, you don't do it in the kingdom way without practicing generosity. And so our church still owes over $700,000 on this building. Our offerings are going down at the end of, of last year instead of up. The last quarter of last year was down. Almost every year I've been here, the last quarter is the highest. Instead, last year it was the lowest. Makes sense, inflation, all that. But, but our elders, we continue to say, we are giving money away. So in the budget, we have 12% of our, our budget is just like it's going out. It's going out. Not to run things here. I mean, I guess to pay for food for the food pantry, but otherwise it is, is going out. And... So after the first quarter, last month, the elders approved giving away over $40,000 to the Well Knoxville, to the Pleasantville Youth Initiative, to Freedom for Youth, to FCA that's trying to get started up in Pleasantville and Melcher and Knoxville, to um, Uganda for food for the, the kids at the school in Uganda, $5,000 to, we've been helping Ukrainian refugees, but this is money to go to over to Ukraine, where they've got a ministry that's feeding the people, and we've got verification that that's where it's, where it's going to help people that are going on the mission trip to Abaco. We've spent over 50% of what we budgeted 
for giving stuff away already in the first quarter. Because we have confidence that that's what we should do is put our first fruits there. Now our offerings are way up. Praise the Lord. That is the kingdom hospitality works. Now, for me, I, I said this a few weeks ago, it is not hard for, for me to give uh, over 10% of my income to this church. I've been doing it my whole life. In my mind, it doesn't belong to me. It's not my money. But the other things we support feel a little bit more like up for grabs. And now, how much confidence do I have in God to be generous with that? Or, let's get to how much generous do I have when we have people over at our house? So I can be a person like, yes, I give this percentage of my income right away to the and then be like stingy with people. Be like, are you really going to have another piece of pizza? We only bought this much pizza and I'm holding back because I'm generous. <laughs> I mean, I've told you before, but some people are due. Like, my wife will always be like, giving the leftovers, like, and I'm like, to her grandma and grandpa. I'm like, grandma and grandpa eat this much. We have six people in our house. Why are they getting over half? And we're just, what is it? We're, but that's kingdom hospitality. That's how my wife is. She just gives it away. Why don't we just get some sandwiches and do some PBJ for the, no, because they're the most important people in the room. And I am the most important person in the room, so I'm watching. What are we I mean, how can we look good and look generous, but not actually give so much away? <laughs> but that is how I've learned about faith. You cannot outgive God. Thank you for what you've given us. Bless it as we give it away. May it be a blessing. That is kingdom. Hospitality. In a moment, we're going to do communion. I'll say the words of institution. How we're going to do communion today is that we are going to stay where you're at, and uh, a worship song will get started. Elders will come, and they will pass, and you'll take the bread. The gluten-free options will be in the middle, in a little bowl. Take the bread, and you just wait. And then as the song comes to the conclusion, I'll come up and together we will take the bread. And then the next song will go and we'll distribute all the juice. And again, you just wait. And then we will, when the song ends, we will take the cup together, doing it unified in that way. And then um, we'll close it with a song. Before I do that, I'm going to invite Doug Terpster to come up. Uh, one of the ways my faith increases... My confidence in God increases when I hear stories. And Doug and his wife Beverly, I have heard so many stories of them offering what God has, even when it is stretches them thin, even when, and then seeing God resupply or seeing how God uses it. And so for the last couple of weeks getting ready for this, I've just had a sense that, that Doug has something that he could pray into us that would, would multiply what we have to offer that would increase our confidence in God. So whatever's on your heart to pray. And Doug, if there's anything that you want to share briefly too, feel free to do that. But otherwise, just, you can pray when you're ready. He took my prop away.
Thank you. When I woke up this morning, I was laying in bed and I said, Lord, how do you want me to pray today? What is on your heart that I can pray for celebrate? And the Lord reminded me that at the beginning of the year, he gave me two words, not only for myself, but for you also. And the first word was invitation. And I felt like there's an invitation for celebrate to go deeper with God. That there's an invitation for the more of God. To walk into more of what he has for you. But the second word was visitation. That as we begin to walk into the invitation, that there will be a visitation from the Lord and that the Lord is going to want to do things within this congregation that perhaps he's never done before. That there's such, there's such a multiplication that's going to happen because we've accepted the invitation that the visitation will come in such a way that we'll actually be awestruck. But it didn't stop there. Because this morning as I was talking to Bev and, and, and we, as we were talking, Bev had this word, and I think it's for you as well. Because it's not only about invitation, it's not only about visitation, but it's also going to be about habitation. That as we are invited into the Lord's presence, as we see his visitation, that it's not enough just to be in that visitation. It's now that we have to walk out the habitation of the Lord. She gave me this verse that went along with that this morning. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house, the place where your glory dwells. I love that. Invitation, visitation, habitation. I believe that's the words for today. And so would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit. If you're comfortable, would you just put your hands out in receiving mode this morning? Come, Holy Spirit. I'd ask that you'd multiply your presence in the room. Increase your presence. Just as we invite that you have invited us we now invite you.
Lord, take us deeper. Take us deeper in you. Father, I would ask that you would multiply every good gift that you have given. Father, even as Andrew has taught this morning, there's four things that I just felt like that I needed to pray. And the first one he already mentioned, he said he'd look to heaven. And so, Father, we look to heaven. We look to you today. We say, would you release your goodness and your blessings upon us? Would you multiply them, God? We look to you, Father. Every good and perfect gift that comes from you, God, we say thank you, God. We thank you. We praise you, God, for every good and perfect gift. And then I was reminded of, of what, what you said, and you said, if you ask for bread, I won't give you a stone. And so, Father, we just pray today, and we ask for your blessing. Jabez prayed, oh, Lord, that you would bless me, that you would increase my territory. Father, I would ask for an increase, a multiplication of the territory that you have given to us. The Lord, as we reach out into this place that you would multiply what we're trying to do here, that you would multiply it, God, that we would reach out to the places that are in Knoxville and Pleasantville and Pella, the surrounding area, God, multiply what you'd have for us. But, Father, we recognize that the multiplication, the increase that you give to us is not for us, but, Lord, that it is to give away. That it's the kingdom principle that we are to give it away. That the increase, God, was not just meant for us, but it was for the multitudes. Father, I was struck in this story that as I, as I thought about it, how Jesus broke the fish and, he, and the bread and he put it into the baskets and he gave them to the disciples that the disciples probably never ate until everything was distributed. That they didn't partake of the increase, they actually gave it away. So, Father, we would ask that you would multiply, that this, this, this kingdom principle that happened from the very beginning when you told mankind be fruitful and multiply that lord that that there's a principle that you want here that you want to multiply what has been given to us i'm reminded of elisha and the widow woman and elisha says to the widow woman what do you have in your house And the widow says, in the beginning, I, I don't have anything. And then she catches herself and says, but I have a little bit of oil. I have a little bit of oil. And Elisha says to the widow woman, go to all your neighbors, collect as many containers as you can, bring them into your house. And as she brought it into her house, she took that little bit of oil and she began to dump it into the containers.
And one by one, each container began to fill up. And it filled up. And it filled up. It was multiplied. Until every container was full. Multiplication, God. We ask for multiplication of our resources. We ask for multiplication of our gifts, of our talents, of our anointings, God. We ask that you would increase them, not for our benefit, but for the multitudes that are around us. That it would touch them in such a way that they would want to know who's your God. We thank you, God. We thank you. And I would pray Ephesians 3, verse 20, over us today. And it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory. Exceedingly, abundantly, above what we could ask. That's our God. Father, I'd ask that you would release the exceedingly and abundantly, God, above anything that we could ask. Father, that you would do it for us. In Psalm 78, you tell us that, that, that you told your people, you limit me. Father, I would ask that we would not be a people that would limit you, but Lord, that we would walk into the abundance that you have for us. Again, not for us, but to give it away. We thank you, God. I thank you for your Holy Spirit and the presence that's in this room this morning. And we bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.